Father, I thank you tonight for the people who have committed themselves to following you and the fact that, God, we are yours. We have committed ourselves to saying, God, you are everything in our lives, that Jesus Christ surrendered himself on a cross for us, and we have committed our lives to following him, taking up our own cross, dying to ourselves, and God, now we go and proclaim this good news to others, that they too can be saved, that they too can surrender everything to him, that he can be all to them, and that they can be glorious saved, gloriously saved. God, I praise your name for that truth. I know that there are people, God, in this world that that are, are close to us. They're right next door. They're, they're sitting in the cubicle next to us. They're sitting in the desk next to us at school. God, there are people everywhere that have not committed everything to Jesus Christ. And because of that, God, they are doomed to hell. And Lord, as terrible as it is for us to even say those words, God, we take it so lightly. God, we don't take it seriously. And Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't be that way. God, we come in here on Wednesday nights and we praise your name and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. But God, I pray that it would not end there, that we would continue. God, you would continue to work in our lives and show us the people that we're supposed to reach. God, this is about you. This is about, about worshiping you with our lives. God, so often we worship ourselves without ever realizing it. And tonight I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of who it is that we worship and how we worship. God, thank you so much for this precious word. And the fact that it is a mirror to our soul and it opens our eyes and opens our hearts and it does surgery, God. So pray that you would do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. So we're starting a new series. It's about trusting God. It's about trust. Now there's, there's a word for this uh, in, in the biblical terms and, and it's called faith, right? So isn't that basically what faith is, is trusting God? Um, it's basically saying, you know what, God, I trust you with everything, no matter what you have for me, good, bad, or ugly, it, I trust you. Um, now, sometimes that's a little bit easier said than done, right? Admittedly, uh, faith sounds like an easy word, but in reality, when it gets down to it, day to day, walking around on this earth, trusting God, having faith, it's a little more difficult than what it looks like, right? When you read about it in the Bible, it looks like, man, golly, that, Seems like it should be so easy to do, but it's really not. Um, I, I don't know if any of you struggle with this particular sin. I happen to struggle with it quite a bit. Um, it starts with a W. It's called worry. Does anybody struggle with that at all? Oh, apparently I'm the only one. So thank you for being so honest and transparent here. <laughs> Got two hands raised back there. Sharon's like, me. She's almost stood up. Like, yes, yeah, me. Um, I struggle with worry. This is something, uh, Mom, you should have stood up, by the way, too, but uh, I know you did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, any of y'all that know my mama, yeah, she, she does struggle with worry just a little bit. Um, so apparently that's where I get it from. Uh, I get it honestly. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it even so much so that when I was a, a, a teenager, my... My parents were, were very encouraging to me. I mean, they really were. I mean, I, I made good grades in school, and, and, and I tried to do the right thing. And I was actually a pretty decent kid, I think. You can argue with that if you want to, parents. But anyway, um, I was a pretty good kid, and I, I did pretty good in school. And, but I used to put so much pressure on myself 
Is anybody else like that where you just put a whole heck of a lot of pressure on yourself? Noah's like, yes, amen, I do that. Absolutely. Like, like you hold your, I mean, you're, my parents, I mean, I would bring home good grades. They'd be like, yeah, that's good. Good job. You know, get yourself a Snickers bar or whatever. But, but I was always like, yeah, but man, I just know that there's this much more I could be doing. There's just this much that I could be taking it to the next level. I'm just like, never can get there. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just right there. Rachel's like, yes, it's just right there. I just can get there. If I could just get there. But I'm always putting more pressure on myself than, um, than probably what I should. And it causes me some undue worry. Um, you know, I have a tendency to do that. I don't know if y'all do or not, but I have a tendency to worry. And I, I, I used to worry a lot about death. That's, that, that's kind of strange, right? So I born-again Christian, follower of Jesus Christ. And I, I mean, really, for a long time, I worried about death. And I don't really know why, necessarily. It just kind of bothered me. I, I had a friend of mine who used to say, I'm not worried about dying. I'm more worried about getting dead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> Sherry's like, yeah, amen to that. I know what you mean. Like, it's one thing to die. It's another thing to get eaten by an alligator. You know what I mean? Like, it's the getting there portion is the falling off the building before you hit kind of thing you know like it's the getting dead part that I used to worry about right like the car wreck and then you know all that kind of stuff it's the getting dead part that I worried about so I used to worry about that a lot now not so much because I know I think I, as I've gotten older and I'm getting closer to death I think it's helped me to understand that life is pretty short and you know I only got a little bit of time anyway and if something happens to me you know it's, it's not forever it's just I'm going to be here until I die, which is not a very long time compared to eternity. So I got a big, better grasp of that, so I don't worry about death as much anymore or getting dead as much anymore. Um, but I still have things I worry about. Um, now it's turned in from, more from worry to obsessing about things. Um, I, I do that a little bit now. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all do this. Um, Google has, has just about killed me, okay, if I'm very transparent, right? Right? Tanya's like, yes, amen, amen. Google's just about killed me. So here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> Let's say that my car reaches 200,000 miles, okay? And uh, just let's say, okay? <clears throat> and I recognize that my car is probably not going to last forever. Eventually, Ken Bob's going to have to get a new car, right? So eventually, that's going to have to happen. I don't really like buying new cars. So it's not, I, I just, it's a, it's a pain, right? So it's a hassle, right? So anyway, so, but what I will do is, new car, okay, what do I need? I need something reliable. Okay, what, what brands are reliable? And I go through the list, right? Then I get on Auto Trader. Okay, what brands can I afford? This is my price range. This is my interest rate. This is my monthly payment. What, what can I afford here? And then I go and I research, right? And I say, okay, I've narrowed it down to three or four models. These are reliable brands. These are reliable models within that brand. Here's the price range I can afford. Here's the years I can afford. Now I start researching, right? So I, and, and it's, okay, so look, it's not like I just get on there for a couple days, okay? It's like six months later, I'm still researching. Yes, that's the, yeah, okay. Six months later, I'm still researching. And then I go, you know what I figure out after six months? I don't need a car anyway. Forget it. I'm not getting a car. I can't take it anymore. I'm too stressed about the car. I can't take it anymore. I don't need a car. Never mind. I'll just walk. I'll just walk. I'll get a nice bicycle. It'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like after six months of researching and digging around and I'm just like obsessing over it and looking on Craigslist, looking on Auto Trader, and I'm and like I found a nice one, but it's in Maine. You know, I can't really, I can't go get that and 
you know, and, and it's, you know, it's a right side driver. You know, I can't really, I don't live in Europe. I can't drive one of those, you know. But like, I, and finally I get so tired and fed up with it. I'm like, I don't need a car. It's so funny that I'm talking about this. I'm looking at people's expressions as I'm doing this. And there's a lot of people that you out there identifying with me. I know, I know who you are, by the way. So, so I know to go and pray with you whenever you're searching for a car. So anyway, um, that's what I do. So my, my, I don't call it worry so much anymore. I, I've transformed it now. It's got a more adult spin on it now. This is obsessing that I do, right? So, you know, you can call it OCD or whatever, but, but I do a little bit of obsessing now. And, and you know what the reality is? Is that it turns out that all of those things are sinful. And uh, Jesus talks specifically about it. He talks about worry, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, and, and he talks about how it's just it's not good. And I, I want you to recognize why it's not good, okay? We really need to look at this particular passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 tonight, and we're going to start in verse 24. But I need to get a running start at verse 24 by starting at verse 19 and just kind of telling you what it says. And this is what it says. It says, don't store up your treasure here on earth. Everybody's heard that, right? Like store up treasure in heaven. Not temporal things. There's that word that means like, temporary, you know what I mean, that, that don't last. Not temporal things, but eternal things is what we should be focused on. All right, so I got to thinking about that. What, what is something that, that lasts forever? What is something that you can store up in heaven that lasts forever? What, what are some, I mean, what are important things to God? You know what I mean? Like, what, what's, what's something that's important to God? I, like, what, what, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? Don't, don't worry about stuff that's temporary, but worry about stuff that is eternal and focus on that and stuff that's important to God. What would be important to God that I could actually be an influence on? How could God use my life for something eternal? What could that possibly be? And I, ah, duh, right? Souls, right? Living, breathing human beings, pouring my life into somebody for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've read this book or not, but it's kind of it's kind of like all about it's called the gospel and and it says that Jesus wants to save you. And he saves you. And then he wants you to be an instrument in God's hands. He wants you to be an ambassador of Christ so that other people can be saved. And that's what this book says. In many different shapes, forms, and fashions, he gives us different ways to live our life, but it's for one purpose, and that's for the gospel. And I was like, okay, so the gospel is the most important thing. That makes sense. All right, so eternal things would be people, investing in people. Okay, so, all right, so I got that. All right, so invest in eternal things. And then it goes on to say, it says, don't, don't, don't invest in things that the moths can, can destroy and rust can destroy. It says, invest in eternal things, he said, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Okay, so my heart is supposed to be geared towards things that are eternal, not stuff that's temporary. Got it. Good job, Jesus. I got you. Okay. Then he goes on to say something about the eye is the lamp that provides light to your whole body. When the eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. So, okay, what's that got to do with eternal stuff and not temporary stuff? What The eyes, oh, I know what he's talking about. It's those daggum balloons they put at the car lot. Right? Right? Like, well, not the dancing ones, Holly. I'm talking about 
the, 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 they tie one to every car on Saturdays, and they put streamers across between the light poles. I, have you ever, in your entire life, have you ever been driving by a car lot and go, you know what, I had no desire to buy a car today, but they got balloons. <laughs> that car comes with a balloon. i got to have a car today. It's got a pink balloon on it. I wonder what the marketing strategy is there. You know, I, I, I don't know if we got any car salesmen in here, but hopefully not. But anyway, I know one. I'll go ask you. What's the idea behind putting the balloons on the car? I mean, I understand it draws your attention to the cars, but like, I know they're going to put balloons on the cars on Saturday. They do that like all the time, right? And the streamers, they don't ever take them down. They just leave them up there. You know what I mean? Like, I know it doesn't make me want to buy a car because they put balloons on them. But okay, so that's what they do. But I will say this. You know what draws my eye to the new cars more than the balloons? It's the new cars, right? Yeah, it's not the balloons. It's... It's, it's the black car that's all sleek, and uh, it's, got, it's got the nicer wheels on it, you know what I mean? And, like, and, and on Saturday, sometimes they, like, pop the hood on it, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You're like, man, that looks good on the inside, don't it? Yeah, that, that is a happening van right there. I need one of them. Oh. <laughs> uh, but... Okay, so I, I look at those cars, and it, it, oh, my eyes are drawn towards not things that are eternal now, but something that is temporary. I don't know if you know this, but, but a Honda Odyssey ain't going to last forever. You know what I mean? Like, rust is going to destroy it over time. It, it's not going to be around forever. But my eyes have all of a sudden been drawn towards something that is not eternal, but is temporary. Could it be that, that Jesus is trying to say there's a connection here? Now, some people will say that, you know, you can read commentaries and stuff that will say that, 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 that this is about sin and, and your eyes being drawn towards sin. And if your eyes are drawn towards sin, then, then your whole body will be corrupt. And yes, that is true. But I think if you look at it in the context of what we're talking about here, what kind of sin is he talking about? I believe Jesus is talking about a sin of this. This is one of those big churchy words again coveting something or looking in a desiring way of something and because you are doing that because you are focused on whatever that may be that's temporary because of that your whole body becomes corrupt because you were drawn towards that thing that your eyes were first drawn towards and then what happens it goes in through the eyeballs and then it goes right straight here right and in my brain it just kind of churns around Every once in a while to fly out my ears, but sometimes it just churns around in here and I can't get rid of it. And I start thinking about that shiny car out there that when the raindrops hit it, the rain just runs right off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like that about a new car, right? Like, you watch, you watch them when it rains on a car lot and you just see the car, the, car, the rain. Oh, yeah. yeah. So easy for me to say, right? So the raindrops hit the car and go, whoosh, just like that. I'm like, man, I wish my car did that. How can I make my I know I could probably wax it, but still. I watched it, and it whoosh, right off the car, and I'm like, man, that's really neat. I really wish I had one of those, or my car would do like that. So, so the, whole, the whole idea here, the eyes looking, corrupting the whole body, because now I'm fixated on something that's temporary, not something that's eternal. All right, Jesus, I got you. I got you. I see where you're, I see where you're going here. 
Then he says something weird, and this is where we're going to start in verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for one, you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so in the context of what we're talking about here, obviously there's, there's finances involved here, right? But I, I, I think that there's a, a little bit more than, than just the money aspect of it. I think when you... When you serve money, what are you ultimately serving? Ourselves, right? If you worship money, if you love money to the point that it, you are so devoted to money, if money is the primary focus of your concern, the only reason you'd be doing that, it, I'm guessing most people don't usually obsess about money so that they can give it away to homeless people, do they? That's not typically why. They're like, man, I hope I, can get, I hope I win the lottery. That way I can give it all away, Right? That's not typically the way it works. You want to have a lot of money. Why? Because you want a lot of money for you, right? It's not so you can give it to Simple Church, although that'd be perfectly fine if you wanted to. Publisher's Clearing House, they, you just hand the check over. You know what I mean? Just like, here you go. There you go, Simple Church. And then, hey, we'll fix some stuff around here. I'm telling you. Uh, we won't have a gravel parking lot anymore. But anyway, so... Typically, if you're worshiping money, you're worshiping yourself. It's about self-worship. And I believe that, that, that Jesus is, is kind of pointing to this fact that, that who are the two gods that are, that are really... It, it, is it really money and Jesus or money and God or is it more yourself and God? It, it's kind of it's got this element of self about it, doesn't it? When you say loving money, worshiping money, being devoted to money... It kind of has something to do with self. Isn't that always the eternal struggle of sin? Self versus God. Who are you going to worship? I mean, isn't that what sin is? Basically, it's just, it's just are you going to do what you want to do or what God wants you to do? And if you do what you want to do, it's sin. If you do what God wants you to do, it's not. And it really boils down to that. So here we don't really have a new concept, but it's just in the confines of money is what we're talking about and self-worship through money. Now, I can remember um, distinctly, not too long ago, that there was uh, the big housing bubble burst, and uh, everybody's 401ks and all that kind of stuff just kind of went, like those balloons that are attached to the cars of the car lot. It's like somebody stuck a pin in it, you know, like, and that's what happened, and, and a lot of people lost like half of their retirement savings. Now, students, I know that you're having a tough time connecting with this little portion of it right here, right? So you probably don't have a big 401k yet. I'm guessing probably not a big retirement fund. Anybody got a Roth IRA right now? No, not yet? Okay. All right, we'll talk about that. That's coming, all right? Maybe we'll cover that at some point. But anyway, so your parents, a lot of them, like, lost a bunch of money when, when kind of the economy just kind of took a downturn, and people lost a lot of money not too long ago. This is probably about 10 years ago, I would say. And even before that, there was a big concern about the uh, year 2000, Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K, the big scare, right? It's like planes are going to fall out of the air at midnight on, on, on year 2000. Like they're just going to come crashing down because the computer systems are not going to be able to handle it. They were only set to be able to handle two digits, and now they've got to be able to handle four, and nobody's ready for it, and the finances are going to crash, and the, the stock market might as well shut down because everybody's at retirements, and everything's going to go away. You're just going to wake up one day, and your savings account's going to be set to zero because of Y2K, right? That was the big scare, right? I even got a magazine that has like this 
completely black cover on it. Everybody's worried about Y2K. And, and one, uh, in one country, as a matter of fact, they were so worried about it, and they were worried about companies getting up to speed on having their computer systems ready to go, that what they did was they took all the executives of the airline companies and they put them on a plane and said, you're going to be flying around during Y2K. So if the planes go down, you're going down with it. You might want to make sure that your plane systems are up to date. So that was incentive for them to do that, right? So yeah, like, okay, we're going to fly you around at midnight. Your 2000 rolls around. Something happens, it's on you. You might want to make sure things are working right. So anyway, so everybody was really scared about that. Y2K rolled around. I don't, I don't really know if anything happened. I, I don't remember. I remember we had fireworks like we usually do. I mean, but that was about it. You know, I don't remember anything else happening, but there was a big scare about it because everybody was worried about the financial markets and what was going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And, and even more recently, the whole Britain exiting the European Union. I don't want to get on a whole bunch of finance stuff here, but people just get scared about their finances. What's going to happen, man? I'm terrified about what's going to happen. Am I going to have a retirement? Am I going to have a pension? Enron, everything. You know what I mean? Like there's just people worried about what's going to happen with their finances. And here, I believe this is what Jesus starts to talk about. He says, you can't serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Well, that's a big statement there, right? Jesus, I got grades, you know. I got ACT scores. I, I, I got stuff that's got to happen. Don't worry about everyday life. That doesn't necessarily mean to do nothing. Okay, hear me on that, students. Go, this is what it says. Whether you have enough food and drink or clothes or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for our he, your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't they more valuable to him? Than, uh, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So this is what he says. Remember who's talking here. This is the Son of God. Okay, This is Jesus Christ talking. That's why the letters are in red in your Bible. So Jesus is talking and he's like, you worry about everyday life stuff. Now, for us, admittedly, in this country, most of us aren't worried about where we're going to get our next meal. But I guarantee you, one thing you can't say is that you don't ever worry about what kind of clothes you're going to have on, right? No teenager in here is ever worried about what clothes they're going to wear, right? Or are they going to have the right clothes for the right event or the right outfit for the right social situation surely no teenager has ever worried about that in this room right you got a closet full of nothing to wear you know what i'm talking about like yeah it's a struggle right <laughs> bailey and kylie are laughing harder than anybody right so <laughs> a closet full of nothing to wear and they both went <laughs> so anyway um isn't your, your body more than what, what clothes you put on? Okay, so Jesus is saying something here. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got I to gotta take my mind off of the, the temporary things, this one event, this one social, social situation that, that, that seems to be going on and I don't have the right clothes for. Take my mind off of that and put it on things eternal. And I think that speaks deeply to us, right? For, for, for you students, I hope you hear this, that, 
that like you get so dadgum focused on like all these little bitty things about what I'm going to wear. Does this hat look good? Do I need to turn it around backwards? You know, like do I roll my jeans? You know, do the are they tight around the leg? I mean, what all these kind of things and and like that is causing you undue worry. You're not supposed to worry about that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's so temporary. It's so insignificant. And we spend all of our time spinning our wheels worried about that kind of stuff. And adults, we do the same thing, worried about that kind of stuff, and we're missing the bigger picture. Man, look at what we do to our bodies, how we sin against our own bodies and do things that, that, that are against God with our very own bodies. We're focused on this other stuff, and we're not even focused on our body. Our body is way more precious than our clothes, but we spend so much time focused on our clothes, we don't even think about the things we're doing to our bodies. I mean, you would think that like we would worry about things that we were doing to ourselves. Things that we're putting into our bodies. Things that we're doing with our bodies, with our boyfriends and girlfriends. That we would be more focused on that kind of stuff than we are what we look like and what we wear. How our hair is fixed and all that kind of stuff. I think Jesus is trying to point out that, man, we need to be Looking at what's important. What's important to God? What's important to the kingdom of God? What is, what is really important? How much time do we spend focused, spinning our wheels on things that don't mean anything? He, hey, look at what he says. Aren't you far more valuable than, 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 than the birds? He says they, they, don't, put, they don't put up... Uh, it says, it says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than your, uh, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So what he's saying here is the birds aren't like storing up food all the time so that they can make sure that they've got enough further down the road that our Father feeds them, that Jesus feeds them, God feeds them. And, and what, what he's saying here is that you need to be focused on what's important. You need to be focused on what's here, what's right now, what, what's most important, and not so much on worrying about tomorrow, the next day, the next day after that. And for us adults, by the way, that's your 401k, right? Your faith does not need to be in your 401k. Your faith does not need to be in your pension plan, your Roth IRA. Your faith does not need to be in getting your house paid off in enough time now, does that mean that we're supposed to do nothing? No, I don't mean we're not supposed to do nothing. That's not even proper grammar, but we're, we're supposed to do something, right? Because do the birds just sit there in the barn and just wait? Oh, my father's going to feed me. I'm just going to sit here and wait on it. Does that mean we're supposed to do that? And so it's, all right, I'm going to just sit at the house and not get a job, and I'm going to wait on my father to feed me. It says right here that my father will feed me. He'll take care of my needs, so I'm just going to sit here. No, you know what the birds do? They go out there and they eat. You know why? Because they're hungry, right? You know why we should work? Yeah, Aaron's like, they're hungry. You like that, didn't he? you? You know why we're supposed to work? Because we get hungry. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to just sit there and say, you know what? God's going to take care of all of my needs, and I don't have to worry about anything, so I'm not going to do nothing. No, that's not the way that it works. We're supposed to be out there searching and diligently working and doing something, and there's a lot of people that don't want to do that, and because of that, they go hungry and like 
That's kind of the reason why. It's because they're not doing anything. They have no desire to do anything. They just want to sit there and wait on somebody else to do it for them. Yes, God will take care of your needs, absolutely, but you've got to be doing something in the meantime. You've got to be making sure that you're meeting God halfway on this thing and saying, God, I'm not just going to sit around and do nothing. I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to be doing stuff on my own, too, so that you can provide for me, that you can open those doors in my job so that I can, I can, I can do things with the money that you provide for me. I'm not just going to sit around and wait on you. And then he goes on to say this in verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What could Jesus possibly be talking about here? Adding to your life. What adds to your life? Uh-oh. Could he be talking about your health? Can, are we supposed to worry about our health? Hmm. Does that mean we're not supposed to do anything and eat fried chicken all the all time? No. But ultimately, you really can't do anything about that cancer. I mean, you can go and you can get the chemo treatment, you get the radiation, and you can do all the things that you need to be doing to try your best to take care of yourself, but ultimately, the cancer belongs to God. Ultimately, the, the, the things that are going on in your body, your health belongs to God. You do things to take care of your body because it's a temple of God, but ultimately, there's not a lot that you can do there. You cannot add to your life. Jesus is the one. God's the one that says, all right, this is, this is the end. This is when you're going to reach your, your last breath. This is when that's going to happen. And there's really not a lot that you can do. So why do we spend a lot of time worrying about when we're going to die? Why do we spend a lot of time spinning our wheels thinking about this disease that's overtaking my body? What's going to happen with me? Is it going to take my life? Is it going to allow me to live? What's going to happen? And, and really, ultimately, that belongs to God. So why do we spend our time worrying about it? I know it's stressful. I know it's stressful. But I also know that God's Word says not to worry about it. And we're going to get to why in just a minute. We're going to get to, I, I want you to see this in just a minute. He goes on to kind of repeat himself here a little bit. He says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the fields and how, how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for the, wildflower, for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? This is what he says. Jesus gets into what is real beauty here. I want you to see this for a second. You spend so much time worried about your clothes and what you look like, how your hair's fixed and, and how it's dyed and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I mean, look at the hair jealous in my hair. You know what I mean? Like, we spend too much time worried about that kind of stuff. And this, this is what Jesus says. He says, you want to know what's really precious? You want to know what's really beautiful? It's not the clothes that you wear. It's you. It's what God created. That's what's beautiful. He says, look at the, look at the flowers in the fields. Look how beautiful they are. That's what God created. It didn't matter how much money Solomon had or how many robes he wore, how many crowns he had, uh, or how many jewels he had in his crown. What mattered 
was what God created. He said Solomon could do stuff all day long, and it wouldn't even begin to even scratch the surface of what God can do in the fields, and the fields get cut down and thrown away and burned into the fire. But look at you and how precious you are. And there are so many students, so many young ladies specifically, that you have forgotten how beautiful and how precious you are because God made you. I can't tell you how many young ladies I've talked to. They feel so unworthy. They feel like they don't add up. They feel like, you know how I talked about that, you, you know, in my own life, that there would be like this, this level that I could never really reach. I can't tell you how many young ladies feel that way. No matter how much weight you lose. No matter how you fix your hair, no matter how many times you change its colors. You know what's beautiful? What God created. You are. That's what's beautiful. And you're worried all this time about the temporary stuff. You are what's eternal. In particular, your soul is what's eternal. How much time do you focus on your external appearance compared to how much time you focus on your soul? How much time? We're, we're, if we had a scale here and we were balancing out, this, this is how much time I spend on my soul, this is how much time I spend on my external appearance. Where would you fall on that scale? I think Jesus is saying, man, you got you. You got your eyes set wrong. I think, I think you're looking at the wrong thing. You're not seeing things from my perspective. And Jesus is trying to give us a godlike perspective on what's important. He's trying to tell you to trust me. Jesus is looking at these people that are sitting there listening to him, and there's crowds of people around him, and he's trying to say, Listen to me, I'll show you what's important. Listen to me, I'll tell you the truth. You're listening to so many voices that aren't from God. Let me tell you, this is from God. He brought me here to tell you this is the truth from God. And we spend so much time listening to the other voices. The voices of the young men and the young women that are around us at school. That's that's the voices we listen to. And God sent his son to this earth to tell us what was really important. He says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? Do you know another time when this is said, this kind of reminds me. of when You remember when the boat was sinking and all the disciples were on it? And they were, they were like, Jesus was asleep in the ship and he was like just hanging out down there in, in his Eno and he was just taking a nap. And, and they were like, Jesus, hey man, we hate to wake you up. We know you had two Benadryl, but listen, there's something going on outside. Like the waves are crashing, they're coming in over the boat, and like, this is not good, we're going to die. Hey, Jesus, we're going down, man. You know what, Jesus, he, he wakes up, he gets a little sleep out of his eye. You know, Sandman came to visit Jesus too, and he goes, you know what, he jumps up and he asks him, he says, where's your faith? He says, do you think I brought you all the way out here? That I picked you, I handpicked you, brought you out here, to be the ambassadors of Christ, 
to share the gospel with the entire world for thousands of years later. They're going to be talking about the stuff you're talking about. Do you think that I brought you way out here so that you could die on a ship? Do you really think that's what's going on? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? It's the same thing that Jesus is asking here. It's like, do you not think that I have every second of your life in my hands? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Verse 31 says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. This is the kind of stuff that a non-Christ follower worries about, not Christ followers. If you're with me, you don't worry about this stuff, is what Jesus is saying. This is what unbelievers worry about, not us. This is everybody else. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today is trouble enough for today. And this is what he says. This is what he says. You know what's most important? This is going to blow your mind. You know what Jesus says? Matthew 6, says it right there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know that verse. You've heard that verse before. And it's fine, the fact that you've heard it before and ignored it before. I'm telling you to pay attention to it today. I'm telling you all the other garbage that you've been worried about all week long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, ever since you've been at school, adults, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, since you've been at work, and you've been worried about everything else, how long am I going to live, what clothes am I going to am I going to be able to provide enough food for my family this week, am I going to be able to do this, am I going to be able to do that? Have you been seeking the kingdom of God Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday? Or have you been worried about everything else in the world except for seeking the kingdom of God? Jesus is telling them, you take care of seeking God, I'll take care of everything else. But what do we do instead? Because we worship self, we say, I'm going to take care of all this stuff, and I'll leave the seeking of God, I'll leave that to Sunday or Wednesday night. I'll just leave that alone, and maybe I'll do it a little bit for a couple of hours later in the week. And Jesus says, you know what? That should be the focus of your life, and all that other garbage should just be something you let me take care of. You know why? Focus on the eternal rather than the temporary. How does this work itself out? Why, why, why as believers are we supposed to be doing this? Why are we supposed to be focused on the kingdom of God and not the other stuff? It's because of the unbelievers. It's because of the unbelievers. Who are they going to look at? Who are the unbelievers going to look at? If they're trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, if they're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christ follower, who are they going to look at? They're going to look at the Christ followers and they're going to see what they're worried about. Am I right? They're going to look at, at the people that are supposed to be Christians, supposed to be focused on the kingdom of God, and they go, are they focused on the kingdom of God, or are they focused on the same stuff I'm focused on? Because it really doesn't look any different to me. And I guarantee you this, the person with the locker right beneath you or the right beside you, I promise they're looking at you and seeing what you're worried about, what you're focused on. 
What is the primary occupation of your life? The person that is standing right beside you at work? They're looking at the Christians and what are they focused on? Is it the kingdom of God or is it something else? Are they focused on the same thing I'm focused on? It's for the purpose of the unbeliever. If you, if you worry about that other stuff, does that mean Jesus is going to kick you out and say your salvation is no good anymore, you're done, you're not doing the right thing? No. Jesus doesn't do that. Once you're in the sheepfold, once you're one of his, he doesn't let you go away, go away and say, no, you're, you're done, get out of here. You belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus. That didn't change. So why then what must we do these other things we focus on the kingdom of God? It's so that more people will come into the sheepfold. It's that more people will come in and say, man, I want what they got. I want to be focused on the things that they were focused on because they seem to have a peace that I cannot even grasp right now. I want to be like one of them. They don't seem to have as much worry and as much stress in their life. What is going on with that person? Why are they like that? There must be something supernatural about that person if they're not worried about the stuff that I'm worried about, if they're not worried about their death, if they're not worried about what's going to happen to them when they get cancer, if they're not worried about how much money they're going to have at the end of the day, if they're not worried about those things, man, I need to know what makes those people tick. I need to know what's going on with them because there's something that's not right about them and it looks pretty good. And then Jesus wraps up. He says, this is what he says. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to do tomorrow. He says, you worry about today. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Now, why does he say that? Why does Jesus say that to these people? Don't worry about tomorrow. I've got tomorrow. Because Jesus owns the future. Jesus owns whatever's about to happen next. We spend so much time worried about what's going to happen next, and Jesus already owns it. When we try to take that away from him, we're saying, Jesus, you don't own tomorrow. I own tomorrow. It's another form of self-worship. We don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one that owns tomorrow. We say, let me take that back from you, Jesus. I got this. You don't need to worry about tomorrow, Jesus. I got it. Who are we worshiping then? We're not worshiping anybody but ourselves. Jesus owns tomorrow. And if Jesus decides to come back tomorrow, you're going to be painfully aware of the fact that Jesus owns tomorrow. So what should we be focused on? What should our eyes be fixed on? What should our minds be processing? What should we be worried about? What should be the primary preoccupation of our life? You know what, you know what we're supposed to do if it's not? It's a pretty simple answer. If you're worried, if you're worried, you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to pray. What are you doing when you pray? You think God doesn't already know what you need before you pray it? The Bible tells us that he does. Why would we need to pray then if Jesus already knows my request before I even make them known to him? Why, why would I pray? Why do we pray? Why do we pray and ask Jesus for things? You ever wondered that, kids? Students, you ever wondered, why do we pray? Jesus already knows. He, he knows. he lives in the past and the present and the future. They tell us that. He knows everything all the time before we even think it. Why would we pray to a God that already knows everything? Why do I got to tell him what I need? He already knows what I need. 
You know why we pray? So we can acknowledge that Jesus owns tomorrow. That no matter if it's good, bad, or ugly, Jesus, you have this. And I fully acknowledge this before you in the kingdom of God. That you are in control. I'm asking you because I know that you are in control. I'm confessing out loud that I have faith that you are in control. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. That's what we're going to do right now. If you're focused on something other than the kingdom of God, you're invited to come and pray. If you've been convinced by so many voices around you that, that you are not precious, I invite you to come and pray. If you've been preoccupied with your finances, what's going to happen tomorrow, where are you going to live, all that kind of stuff, come and pray. If you've been focused on anything but God for the past three days, since you've been back at work or school, come and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your precious word and how Jesus would tell us the truth. And God, we worry so much, and it's foolish for us to worry. God, we need to repent of that, and we need to come to you and say that we acknowledge that, God, you own tomorrow. You own everything about us, and everything we do is in response to your gospel, and it should be about you and not about us. And, Lord, that's why I know that we cannot worship two gods. We will want, love one and despise the other. So I pray that right now the one that we despise is ourself, and we love you more. I pray that the evidence of our life shows that we love you more than anything of this world, including ourselves. Lord, if it's not, there may be people here that aren't Christians. They aren't Christ followers. They're more like the unbelievers because they are an unbeliever. They've never really fully confessed you as Lord and Savior. And they need to come in repentance to you today and ask you to save them. And then for the believer, maybe they've forgotten the fact that you own tomorrow. And maybe they just get so distracted by all the things of this world. God, I pray that they wouldn't do that. I pray that they would bring those things down at this altar today and let them die here so they can go back to their seats and be focused on what is eternal and not what is temporary. Lord, this is your time when we respond to you. This is your time when you move in our hearts and our lives. I pray that we be responsive to you now. Not listen to ourselves, but listen to you as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?